Hey, Sai, look, it's the listeners. Ah. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to Taping Turns. This is a podcast about video games, and this time around we are going to be discussing music. You have caught us as we're tuning up our instruments ahead of tonight's performance, Concerto for Podcast. So I hope you're sitting very comfortably and have on your favourite opera-going shoes and trousers in preparation for our first movement, in which the orchestra will regale us by performing pieces sent in by users from the website Reddit in response to the question, when was the last time in which a game made you feel emotional with its music? And as our steely and stoic conductor approaches the stand and holds his baton aloft, John Lau will be taking us through a bit of a show-and-tell and the history of video game music. And I do hope that you'll accept a complimentary aperitif or amuse-bouche while we prepare for our fiery crescendo in which all four tenors respond to an invitation to brawl on the topic of Proteus. Uh, sorry, I think we better go. He's, oh, he's looking over. Hey, oh, we, we better get back, listeners. Okay, come on. See you later. This time around, we are talking about music, uh, ladies and gents. Um, and our first stop, as ever, is to go to r slash games uh, to see um, what people said when we asked them the following question. When was the last time that music in a game made you feel something? Um, we've got some reservations about this, guys, don't we? A little bit. It was a bit thin on the ground, I've got to admit. Especially on the chuckle front. Yeah, well, I mean... You know, the yeah, chuckle we... bus went straight past this stop. It, the, yeah, yeah. No, that's only, it's a Sunday service. Like, um, I, think, <laughs> I think, though, um, we shouldn't always play the, the Reddit threads for laughs, right? Hey. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. We've we got some serious stuff. I think, you know, it was, it was good. Just, it, you think we're maybe taking advantage a little bit? I, I'm not saying that. Especially when you look at me like that, I'm not saying I'm really trying <laughs> to not say it. I can feel that you're trying <laughs> to not say it. Um, it was it was a little thin on the ground. There's a reason for that, though, um, and that's because we got. I think we got removed. We got modded. We did. Wow. We got modded up the Yangtze. I, I think. Uh, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> I think it's it's just possible that they thought that maybe maybe it was a little bit self promotional. I don't. I don't or know. game music is a forbidden fruit. It yeah. is. And it is. Like, <laughs> no, it's actually. It's um. It's kind of kryptonite to Reddit. Um. It's game music. Well, I think. I think what. Uh, it might be. Oh dear! I've gone all dead in the brain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it might be the case that the question we asked is actually a little bit, little bit tough. When the last time music in a game made you feel something? It's quite abstract. Mm. I mean, feel what? Sad. I, I mean, you're right. You're right. Person's leg next to you. Yeah. Um, and but Reddit says they're a bright bunch. Um, I think we, I, yeah, I, re- I reckon maybe there's a there's a sense in which it was maybe a little hard. It, it required a little bit, a little bit of thought, and sometimes I'm not saying it's too com- hard for no, people on no, Reddit. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Jesus, um, John. Sometimes people can't. Be if you don't get stuff. it, come to Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were some quite insightful responses, though. There were some wonderful responses. Mm. Um, I one in particular one um, I found was. Uh, the one, what was the, where was the Bioshock one? Um, Baron, Baron underscore Blackmore, um, said in response to this, perhaps the Bioshock soundtrack, but that may be because the music really well, really defined the era well. I remember it giving me the chills because it described the environment so very well. It spoke to me the scale of the world and a real sense of how distorted it was. 
uh, now that I think about it, it may be the way the music was applied to the surroundings that aided that effect. Um, and I think that's a really good point. Certainly, when I was playing Bioshock, and we always we always talk about Bioshock in these things. It right? does. We should play, but it's, it's play a rich game. game. Yeah. Um, but uh, in in Bioshock, there were there were genuinely disturbing moments because um, there was a certain happiness, a certain jo- jollity to um, uh, a lot of uh, the kind of the in-game uh, stuff coming out of radios, mm. um, and that was very very well juxtaposed with the horror uh, of the. Mm. Um, you know the, the the dystopia. Yeah, yeah, that, and that is certainly underscored, isn't it, by that the echo of you know, the sound and it does that kind of really cheery nineteen fifties yeah, music, it's, but then it's and it's echoing di- around the place. It's diegetic as well a lot of the time. You know, it's it's on radios that are in the scene mm. and they so kind of echo around these. Yeah empty rooms it's as if that radio's been left on for a hundred years and no mm. one's turned it off and it's still playing the same record that was playing a hundred years ago and I, I wonder if um to some extent we're more desensitized to visuals music just gets right to the core of it much faster in a way mm. um yeah i i mean i it's interesting actually because um is that is that the only kind of real recognizable music that you get in, in bioshock no you do get Kind of, uh, a lot, there's a lot of drones and swells and things that are less um, uh, d- d- signatured. You know, they don't have kind of uh, very recognisable parts. You couldn't sing them. They kind of go Duh! when the baddie's coming towards you. Yeah, my favourite tune. I love. <laughs> that was a hit in '69. Yeah, it's kind of pre-dubstep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'd like. Okay, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, those uh, those songs. Um, those are the only things that are recognisable as songs. There's any kind of hummable mm. things. Everything else is kind of um, ambient. Mm-hmm. But, but except, not like except the opening theme. It's it's very strange if you listen to the soundtrack. The very first song is much more musical than the rest of it. Then <clears> it <throat> draws you into the. Oh, world. that's interesting. I wonder to what end that was done. Mm. Mm. It's also worth mentioning. Um, I think just before we move on to another post, um, that uh, Bio- the music in Bioshock Infinite um, is uh, is very interesting. Uh, uh, for those of you, for, for those of us who haven't played it, um, there are a lot of uh, kind of rearrangements of um, very popular songs by oh, really? people like the Beach Boys and Cindy Lauper. Um, <laughs> Laupod. Laupod, um, yeah. relative of mine. <laughs> and, um, uh, and that that in itself is very interesting because it, it, it very closely ties into um, you know themes of anachronism uh, and being out of place and things being kind of recognisable and you're like well what's yeah. going on there which uh, you know those are threads which do run very very um, heavily through the whole game plus it all ties together with this central theme of kind of Americana doesn't it mm. 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 Uh, I have a post here from the wonderfully named Tachyon fourteen brother to 13 other tachyons uh, saying <laughs> recently played press x to give up uh which is an uh, i think it was a game that came out of a jam uh, or a, a global game jam mm. thing i think um it's a really interesting little thing you uh, you play a bullfighter um trying to fight a bull and <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> yeah always bloody doing that aren't they <laughs> Uh, and the experience is actually quite frustrating. It's, it's a difficult game, but it has some really interesting musical and visual glitching um, every time you get injured, and it's a really interesting way yeah. of describing, um, you know, the kind of relationship that you have with 
uh, when things done gone wrong in a bullfight. <laughs> God, I'm on fire today. <laughs> Tachyon14 writes, Press X to give up. It's a pretty gruesome little thing. Plenty of moral issues here for you, but particularly with the music and the way it changes with each action you take in the game. I'm not sure I can describe exactly what it made me feel. Maybe a little bit of horror. But I, I, I revisited the game after reading that comment, and I think it's actually apt. Uh, it is kind of horrifying, and it, the, the music's... Um, like, as you, as you get more injured, these kind of high-pitched, quite... Uh, not screechy, but like banshee-ish wails come into play. It's mm. very difficult to listen to, but there's, um, on the flip side of that, a, a lot of music that I find quite grating and horrifying sometimes doesn't intend to be like that. The, uh, the uh, Genesis sound chip, the old Motorola sound chip, was really shrill. It had Everybody can hear the, the Genesis sound in their head. It has that kind of metallic, kind of ringing sound to it. And um, I remember playing Strider, the um, the mm. arcade port, and every time you um, slash your sword, it's so high pitched; it really cuts through. And in a way, it kind of had this effect. Like, well, you know, uh, should I be using this sword? It's going to hurt someone. <laughs> it may even hurt me, <laughs> even in the ear holes there. <laughs> and amazing. and you think twice before you use your th- sword. And I think that it and adds an air of kind of responsibility to the slaughter. It's good. <laughs> a real morality. Too. Makes you think twice. Yeah. Mm. Um, I uh, I did notice um, a trend in a couple of the things. Um, uh, I'm not going to give any like real specific examples because it is something that I noticed in quite a few. But um, there there seems to be this correlation with very filmic moments. Um, so um, fallen fallen precursor. Actually, I, having said I'm not going to give any examples, I am going to give some examples. Fallen precursor oh, yeah. talks about Halo Three ODST. Um, there's another example... Uh, Mass Effect. Uh, yeah, the Mass Effect times, example, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I just want to give you a shout-out. Um, whoever you are, you lovely Redditor, uh, get off my lawn. Get off me lawn. What a great name. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so um, I think there's... Um, I think having having that kind of cultural capital, like being being that used to those techniques in films which we've grown up watching, um, I think it can still be a very powerful thing um, to have that orchestral swell as you pan across a battlefield or something or you're like you're leaving Earth and I think there are um, a lot of the moments that are mentioned on this thread um, are of that ilk mm-hmm. I think that yeah, um, that leads on to my uh, my post I've got here um, I came through the post this one <laughs> this is uh, from lol meow thanks for that <laughs> actually bothered to put a stamp on it yeah. which is a quality often forgot in today's age and um, lol meow says uh, that runescape music not because it was a musical masterpiece but logging onto it after three years brought back uh, a lot of memories and you know the wandering around the world and exploring and uh, i think that's quite interesting the idea of nostalgia as well i uh, think that a lot of the video game music that i have heard like i have covers of Mario Brothers 2 as my ringtones played by actual musicians and things and it, I think it's just a really nice s- series of tones and harmonies that take me back to a certain point in my life and uh, there was something quite comforting about it and mm. about a couple of years ago I went through a bit of a revival and started playing some of the old games that I played when I was a child and really playing through them and spending time playing them and the music uh, that often we, we compare the 
compare the function of the music in a game uh, to something that would happen like in a film. But I'm quite interested in how, uh, or I like how he's brought up this idea that music as a whole is very memory-inducing, mm-hmm. uh, and that video game music is no different to that. There's something interesting I- here, which is that time and time again what's being mentioned is, is this kind of filmic link, or, or you know, uh, it's places where music is being used to provide some sort of emotional guide or, or, or uh, a bit of context for your action. And there's very few mentions of, uh, in fact, no mentions of any kind of game, like even mainstream examples of games where music is really central to the game. So any, like Guitar Hero would be an example of mm. that, right? And, you know, who hasn't felt at the very least frustrated as an emotion when playing Guitar Hero or excited. Um, Res, mm. uh, another example of a game where music was really central to what was happening. And mm. sensual as well. That was the game that Very had the sensual. dildo attachment, Res. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's, it, it actually did. It, it used the music <coughs> to physically stimulate you outside of the game. It had an attachment that was officially made by Sega for sexual stimulation in relation to the music. Why Break it down. Break it down, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Something about Lol Meow is supposed to stuck out for me as well. Um, just this phrase... RuneScape music, not because it would be a musical masterpiece. And what's interesting about that is I recently went through the experience, for example, of, of um, reinstalling Descent. You guys remember Descent? Yeah. yeah. Classic. So I have a vivid memory of the first level of Descent's music just inscribed in my head. And trying to reinstall it brought me into contact with the fact that every single edition of that game had slightly different music, so it was synthesized differently. And then when they ported it to Mac, they got um, got actual non-chiptune music recorded for it, which totally destroyed it. Mm. And then I got the soundtrack and started listening to it, and I realized that all the tracks actually... It's not that one is better than the other. The first one is more memorable than the, the later tracks. It's just that, as a kid, I had only the shareware version and so I just played the first level over and over and over and over again. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> and so the interesting thing about that is that it's not about the quality of the individual song. It's just the fact that it's just been seared into your head by repetition. It's a bit like um, a smell um, uh, mm. in, in being kind of like uh, memory-inducing, which is very interesting. Um, sorry, just as a, a brief correction, the um, the person uh, who mentioned actually a specific Mass Effect 3 song was K-Corpse uh, on Reddit, just to, just to let you know. Even though well, 15 minutes in, already our first correction. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going, guys. Even though Get, get, off, my, get off Me Lawn did mention Mass Effect 3, uh, or Mass Effect as well. Um, Thanks, K-Corp. Why, why don't we answer this question? I mean, when was the last time you were, were made to feel um, something by music in a game? Uh, do you have anything, Steve? Um, <clears throat> the last time um, would probably be any time that I last played a game because I'm kind of, I've kind of been tuned into it. But I think the first time that I remember being genuinely affected by music emotionally was Tomb Raider, the Tomb Raider 1. Mm. Um, I'd never played a 3D polygon game before and I went round to a it was a teenage party I don't know whose house I was in but their parents were very rich and they had an enormous television big CRT job with big sound system attached to it 5.1 or Dolby as um, uh, whatever it was at the time and uh, suddenly this orchestral score swelled out of this game where this woman standing there uh, in this empty cavern 
with these really spooky strings swelling up from underneath that sounded real. It sounded like wood rattling, you know, it was, it was a real orchestra. And the drama of the moment was uh, so affecting. I, ju- I walked into the room and I just forgot what I was doing and just had to sit in front of this thing and say, just play it, I just have to hear this. Mm. And it, was the, it, it wasn't necessarily the graphics or, or the gameplay or anything, it was the music that made me walk into a room and I, I felt alone, I felt the, like her. And uh, it was the first time I truly felt like I was in the game just because of that music, because it was so well written, so well performed and perfectly placed with the visuals. You know, even the reverb space and everything sounded authentic. And it kind of blurred this line between diegetic and non-diegetic. You didn't quite know where the orchestra was. And it was beautiful. And um, it made me want to try and help her get out. <laughs> I, uh, I, um, so, again, this wasn't the last time um, that music in a game made me feel something, but it was... This is a very strong memory for me, and it was when I was playing Final Fantasy VII, um, and it was the end of the first disc, and spoiler, 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 uh, when Eris is killed by um, Sephiroth, um, uh, you know, th- throughout the, f- the whole of the first disc, there's been this kind of, like, you know, wonderful burgeoning romance with her and Cloud, and, you know, this all sounds really lame now, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, like, musically, she has a theme, you know, and it's called Eris' Theme um, in, in the FF7 soundtrack. And it's usually um, uh, it's usually just, like, a, you know, a couple of... Um, it's just a, a solitary piano. Um, but as soon as Sephiroth kills, kills her and, you know, she's lying on the floor and then suddenly you're kind of whisked into a battle, and rather than the ordinary battle music, um, you're given Eris' theme, but with a kind of this wonderful orchestral... Um, arrangement rather than just a single plonky piano, um, and you have to fight this like you know this boss whilst this music is playing, and I I just I was like oh my god come on this is happening and, you know it just it it was it was a very it was a very affecting moment. I, I did an experience that was completely <coughs> unrelated to uh, orchestral music, although I I when the question first came out, those moments were the first ones that came to mind in all the games that have included them. Uh, but recently, after playing it for probably 20 hours, I finally defeated Super Hexagon. Oh, oh my god, you finally. actually completed it. That's uh, a really finally. wonderful yeah. example as well. And um, when it, so when, shortly after Super Hexagon came out, uh, Chipsel released the soundtrack of it on, um, on Bandcamp, and it's only three songs. And I had it on my computer, but I refused to listen to it until I felt that I had earned the right to listen <laughs> to that part of the song. And, um, spoiler alert, um, probably, <laughs> just going to say, probably, probably not as bad as what John just said. But when you beat the game, you go backwards through every single thing that you've done. So every single level and this kind of the end of the final song plays and you've been struggling for so long at it. And the end of the final song is just such a kind of rising crescendo of chip tune amazingness um, that, I don't know, I was really, really deeply affected by it, particularly because it had been such a struggle to get there and because I'd been holding back from listening to that one little part of that one MP3 for weeks. That felt amazing. Did you cry, right? I actually no seriously. It actually brought some one tear, part of a tear, part of a manly tear. <laughs> it was a manly tear. It a could single... have been grit or something. I'm not sure. It's okay to cry, guys. Natural. 
<laughs> it was petrol. It was crying gin. <laughs> Hang on, is it not okay to cry? It's not okay to cry, so... Shit. Um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Cool. Side point, side point, a few weeks ago, um, I went to a Chipsal gig where she was uh, playing music from Super Hexagon um, and other songs she's done while Super Hexagon was being played behind her on a giant, like, 30-foot screen. Oh, my God. I also cried. I, I knew you did this, Raf. I knew this about your life because you amazing. put it on your YouTube channel. And that is the way that we relate to each other Wait, in the Wait, has world. a YouTube channel? It has only Whoa. that one thing on it. <laughs> it actually... I think it actually only has that one thing Pitch, on it. And it's, there's that three-hour video of you practicing the alphabet. Uh, Portal 2 man which is a game that has some wonderful music in uh, and there's two very affecting moments uh, both of which involve spoilers so sorry world (laughs) the first of which being there's a moment where you kind of find a little side room uh, and there's a painting on on the wall there uh, done by a character in the game called Ratman who's sort of like um, in, in the mythos of uh, Portal has been looking out for you behind the scenes and there's playing um, on a little in-game radio so it's got that kind of diegesis to it. So the track that plays is called uh, Exile Vilify by The National and it's this kind of it's really sombre song that caused me to just to linger in the space for a moment and absorb the atmosphere and I felt quite a deep connection with the story of the game at that point. And then the, of course the other moment um, at the very, very end of Portal 2, as you're uh, rising through the levels um, and, and you're treated to a, a really magnificent serenade uh, by all of the, the game's turrets, including the animal god king thing. Um, uh, and it's it's and they sing a little opera track for you. And, mm. and I don't know, I'm, I'm even getting goosebumps thinking about it now. <laughs> it was really nice. That's, like, that's Valve all over. Their attention to detail is just phenomenal and their their sense of humor and their sense of um it, they, they, the games feel directed you know they they mm. feel like there's oh, yeah. it's someone's idea it's not just a hodgepodge of hundreds of people i mean literally it is but it, it doesn't it doesn't have that feel to it and i think their music like the way uh, like the, the turret song and so you know they're yes. why am i lonely here <laughs> like, what's it called I don't know, but yeah. I forget the, the, sad, the sad, lonely kind of lament yeah. at the end, and uh, yeah, it's lovely touches like that. I think all of Valve's games are peppered with. Okay, so I wanted to take a very literal interpretation of the theme this time and talk to you about video game soundtracks um, specifically. People who know a lot about music in games, and believe me, I'm definitely not one of them will attest to the fact that um, music in games is an incredibly rich and wide-ranging subject. And in order to get any kind of a, an understanding of it, you need to have a grasp of, a many, you know, of, of many different sub-subjects, each of which has its own deep and complex history. So you need to have played a lot of games, you need to have paid attention to the music whilst you're playing those games, uh, you need to have an understanding of how electronic music is made, you probably need to have an understanding of how the means of making that music has changed over time, as well as an appreciation of music and musical concepts in general, um, which all contributes to this rather terrifying farrago of information that can be quite difficult to navigate um, for the uninitiated. And I should say that I count myself in that number because I, I don't really have the kind of extensive knowledge um, you know, in, in any of the subjects that, that I just listed um, that's kind of requisite. 
However, in my research, I did find it all completely fascinating. So to take a direction, I thought in the first instance um, that I'd build on the fact that it occurred to me that when people think about video game music, um, they often have a very, very particular aesthetic in mind. And that's usually bleeps or blorps of varying levels of sophistication. Now, it's obviously more complicated than that. And, and just as game graphics have advanced dizzyingly in, in complexity and sophistication, so has uh, the player's aural experience, right from the very basic stuff in early arcade machines uh, to the Commodore 64 and the NES, to the Super Nintendo, to MIDI instruments on the PlayStation, all the way up to modern symphonic swells uh, that you get in AAA titles today. But the thing is, despite all of that development and despite all of that change, there is still this undeniable aesthetic to video game music, video game music, um, that you will be familiar with, even if you aren't really aware of how it's been developed over time. Um, and that's something that's woven into popular culture in the same way that pixel graphics are. And partly I think that's because nowadays AAA titles have full orchestral scores and, and sound more like films, just as AAA graphics look more like films and have cutscenes with cinematographers and directors and so on. But when you're thinking about music which is distinctly video game, you actually have to hark back a few years. Uh, you have to go back to bleeps and blorps. And so what I wanted to go into is why that particular sound that we remember from the 8-bit and 16-bit games is the way it is. Um, and to do that, I need to go into a little depth about game music's intractable, de intractable dependence on early synthesizer technology. Um, so it's worth remembering that when video games first became popular, the only way to store music was on vinyl or cassette, really. Um, and none of that was especially practical for a game where the musical experience might need to adapt to the player's actions. Um, even something as simple as going to a menu screen. Uh, there are a couple of notable examples. One, um, one quite interesting one is that uh, there was actually a video game that did use a cassette to play its music. Uh, and that was uh, an arcade game in 1983 called Journey. Um, which <laughs> Stu actually introduced us to. Journey, the arcade game uh, in 1983, as opposed to the 2012 um, critically acclaimed Smash, um, was, uh, was based on um, the band Journey. And, uh, and it was set, um, I think the, the premise of the game was that aliens had stolen their instruments and uh, the members of the band had to go and retrieve their instruments uh, from, you know, from various levels. Um, and it had these kind of really awful um, three-frame animations of the, like photos of the, the band's faces uh, superimposed on pixel characters um, as they kind of flew around in space. Um, but whilst we were playing this game, uh, they had a, a, a tape deck which played separate ways constantly on loop <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> it just sounds, it sounds like hell. <laughs> An incredible hell. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, so you know there are notable exceptions like that, but but essentially, um, cassette or vinyl are pretty um, pretty unsuitable. Um, so how do you have music or sound respond to events in the game? Do you need it to make it electronically? How do you do that? Early synthesizers did that by creating tones. So the way those sounds were made was originally via a dedicated computer chip called an oscillator, which via code you can tell to generate a repetitive electronic signal things like sine waves. Um, and that repetitive signal can then be sent to an amplifier and then converted into sound waves via a speaker. The kind of tones uh, that early oscillators could make were things like sawtooth waves, which sound like this. 
I love that one. That's, a, that's my favourite. It's one of my favourite songs. That's my favourite. Um, there are also um, Triangle Waves, uh, which sound like this. Pulse waves, which sound like this. Um, the reason those are named in the way that they are is because if you actually look on those waves on an, on oscilloscope, on an oscilloscope, sorry, they do actually have those shapes. Sine is a mathematical term, and that's just the, the kind of flowing up and down. But sawtooth does actually have the kind of straight up, and then uh, the the um, the kind of angle down. Triangles and equilateral triangle, um, rectangle waves or pulse waves do do look like that. Um, so, we have a basic way of making a sound. The idea is then to play lots of them together in order to have a sophisticated composition with various parts. But that, in itself, is not so easy on early consoles, because limitations meant that you could only have a very small number of channels. Each of those channels could only play one tone at a time. So that made playing chords very difficult. Uh, if you've only got, like, say, two channels, like, how, how can you play a chord? Um, so to get a chord effect whilst remaining economical with channel use, early games used arpeggios, where they played notes of a chord rapidly one after the other rather than at the same time. And that effect came to be a staple of the genre and explains that kind of squelchy, wobbly style that you get with games music. Um, and here's an example just to give you an idea of what that sounds like. Like all of those notes are being spaced out, um, even though they are in, in, you know, they sound like they'd be playing at the same time, um, and that's something that you can hear in in so much video game music at the time. It's it's uh, it's really like to enumerate those examples would be very very difficult. Um, credit incidentally to a guy called Bucky who runs a video game music blog blog called RetroGameAudio.tumblr.com for incredibly knowledge break knowledgeable breakdown of this stuff. So Nina, what's what I hope to kind of be conveying to you is that there's a requirement for economy here. Um, we need to generate that music uh, electronically rather than just have it like, you know, in the background on a tape deck um, because it needs to uh, respond to, to, to player action. Um, we need to use arpeggios rather than chords. It has to be of that particular um, timbre, that, that particular kind of sound. And those requirements and that economy directly influence the kind of art that's coming out. Um, so, as technology progressed people developed increasingly sophisticated ways of modulating and manipulating those tones, um, which itself gave rise to an increased freedom in game music composers' uh, work. As well as that, um, people were also developing uh, ways of better sampling audio. Now, that's where the analogue wave of a note um, is recreated by digitally recording points along the wave and then sending those levels of voltage directly to an amplifier and, and, uh, and playing those through a speaker. So... That way of digitising things that you hear in the real world, rather than generating them from scratch as tones, opened up a whole wealth of new sounds and voices that composers can use. Um, and, and what you can do is you can actually take a particular audio sample and alter its pitch, giving you a great deal more variety and authenticity. And that reminds me of this really lovely scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where Ferris is pretending to be sick, and um, he loads lots of coughing and barfing sounds onto his uh, keyboards, and he starts playing Strauss in, uh, in barfs and coughs. Excuse me. Think you'll be alive this weekend?
Now, with sampling, when you're digitising an analogue wave, the more points you can record along the wave, the more accurately you can reproduce it. But early technology is not going to be up to scratch when it comes to that stuff. So that's why it's got that kind of tinny quality that you hear in early games. So, to, to sum up, um, having gone through all of that, you can actually break down a five-channel NES system. That's uh, something which can play kind of five levels of sound um, as follows. Um, credit here, incidentally, to Bucky on Retro Game Audio. You're a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, so here it is. Um, the top two channels of the five are pulse waves, and those are things which carry the melody, and they sound like this. So those are the pulse um, uh, waves, and they are kind of like treble, which carry the melody. The third channel is responsible for the bass, and that's the triangle wave, which sounds like this. Lovely. Um, Thelonious Monk, though. <laughs> I played that at my sister's wedding. Uh, the fourth... The fourth channel is uh, the noise channel. So that's literally white noise, but switched on and off and, and, uh, and altered in pitch creatively. So that's literally all that's coming out of the, the fourth channel. And the fifth channel, the final one, is for a limited sample range. So you can put all of those together and you can actually get, like, you know, despite the limitations, you can actually get an incredibly varied and, and variegated um, uh, kind of toolkit from which to comp compose your music. And, and so, like, in the following clip, you could probably pick out each of those individual channels. I find really interesting about this whole thing is that we have a very distinctive aesthetic which grew up because of very practical constraints and it's made an indelible imprint on popular consciousness precisely because of that distinctive aesthetic chiptune for instance is an entire genre of music which people listen to without playing games I mean they don't they don't play games when they listen to um, you know uh, you go to chiptune festivals and of course games are present but you know they go just for the music um, and you get full-length albums from really wonderful artists like Anna Managuchi or Disaster Piece. Um, also, video game samples, tones, scratchy arpeggios are now a standard part of the electronic music artist's toolbox. And you can hear that stuff in anything from Diplo to Nelly Furtado. Um, and of course, developments in the electronic music scene outside of games were also mirrored in the music that was being heard in games too, because both were urged on by the same technological advances, which were constantly redrawing the boundaries of what could be done. So, I'm not sure how much of that was familiar to you guys, or whether finding this stuff out was as new to you as it was to me when I was researching it. Um, and I guess in a, in a, as a, by way of, you know, moving on to a discursive point, 
What do you think about that, the Hollywoodizing of music and games now? You know, is that an inevitable part of the AAA effect? Do you think you could have a AAA game with this kind of pixel score, or does it have to be orchestral? You know, where, where do we go from here? <coughs> There's something wonderful and just brilliantly ironic about the fact that what, you know, not nostalgia has venerated something that that has the uh, the sense of being acoustic, right? Mm. And and in, in the chiptune um, world, there is this idea of, you know, you're kind of more of a proper chiptune artist if you're using, like, a Game Boy to generate your, your music than if you're putting it all together in Ableton or, or whatever. And I think that's amazing and, and just really funny as well. Um, mm. As to... Do I lament the Hollywoodizing of modern game scores? No, I think it's it's wonderful. It's part of. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say Hollywoodizing, and it's part of the essential progress towards doing something more with the genre, isn't it? Um, it's also glorious that that an aesthetic has grown up in itself, and and yeah, as you so correctly summarised, yeah, one that was very heavily informed by the the physical hardware that was being used. Hmm. One of the interesting things is when that when when there came that point where you had games that were still fairly low resolution. I mean, I guess Final Fantasy VII is a good example of this, but we're starting to have very orchestral music. Mm. And I'm trying to imagine what it would be like if you reversed that, if you took Super Mario Brothers and put on an orchestral score so, something something about the the visuals and the music has to to match or to feel like one thing yeah um it feels like these things have to move in lockstep i think that's a really good point the first game i ever played with an orchestral score was outcast i don't know if anyone else ever played this game it's a early yeah. voxel engine game where you played some sort of 90s american space marine guy um Lieutenant Marine Commander Awesome or something, and you, you ended up in um, an, an alien world that was just ridiculously huge and deep, to the extent that, I mean, I think I must have been, what, about 14 when I was playing? I didn't have any clue what was actually going on. Um, but the score was incredible. Well, it's interesting that orchestral keeps coming up a lot here, um, and that music as a concept is a lot broader you know than than film music and we keep returning to this point of comparing this to film um i remember playing tony hawk's pro skater for the first time and having uh, an entire album suddenly my love for punk music arose out of playing uh tony hawk's games really yeah the only reason i got into it was because of play, playing tony hawk um and they were bands this was and these were you know this is licensed music um so uh i think that interesting it's like it's not necessarily do i lament the hollywoodization it's more that i like the detroitization this idea of taking bands like the motown model and turning it into something that's worthwhile mm. you know that was otherwise worthless that's small and it's just a group of guys doing what they do um there is more opportunity now in with the industry the way it is especially with the indie developers that you have games like analogic who are a five-piece band that wrote the music for max and the magic marker that have uh, kind of a gypsy feel 
to the the the, mm. the uh, quintet that they're in, but they also use a little bit of chip tune as well to 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 kind of blend that in. And um, I think that the yeah, so the my emotional response to the non Hollywoodization is the glee from the Detroitization. Mm. Machinarium was a great example of that as well. Actually, they had a really wonderful jazzy score to it, didn't it? It was like uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't typical. <laughs> You can hear in the background, those are sounds um, directly from the wonderful indie game Proteus, which we've all been playing uh, this time around, and we wanted to all play at the same time so we can discuss it. Yeah, more of that. <laughs> but, well, I mean, I say, I say those aren't directly, that they're kind of an acoustic um, recreation, but um, it's a game that um, affected us all, um, whether for, for good or for bad. Hey, man. Hey, man. Listen, it caused a little bit of controversy, guys. Let's so, not have a fight. Let's, no, we... we let's oh, no, wait, this is the time to have a This fight. is the time to have a fight. <laughs> the only reason that people listen. Um, I, so, thoughts, thoughts on Proteus, guys. I really liked it, I'm going to be honest. Um, uh, for, actually, shall we have a little, a little um, description of what Proteus is? That's a good idea. I, uh, for those, I for think Raph is the best man to give that description. All right. So, Proteus is, um, in in some ways, has been described as an EP as much as a game. Um, you wake up and you are near a beautiful, three-dimensionally eight-bit pastel island. And as you walk closer to it, it starts generating the soundtrack of the game. And then you realize that every single thing in that game is generating the soundtrack of the game. That Everything around you has its own sonic signature, and that walking through that world is basically creating the music um, of that world. And it's just, just this very, very beautiful, kind of slow-paced uh, experience. It takes about an hour to play through, and uh, yeah, it's 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 just it's just quite beautiful and uh, meditative and um, abstract. What what I will actually say before we get into it is that um, for a game where because no, nothing really happens, I mean it's a, that's it, like when you say meditative, rap, I mean it's not it's not the most eventful of games. Um, Literally, nothing happens. <laughs> but, but for a game where nothing much happens at all, it's actually pretty vulnerable to spoilers, I guess. So, so a lot of my enjoyment from the game uh, was derived from dozens of tiny, tiny moments of discovery, which. If we were to discuss them straightforwardly, uh, would kind of ruin it for anyone playing it afresh. I think um, I, I know it would for, for me if I had known that. Which is why I guess the, the reviews that I've been reading have been quite elliptical um, in the description of, of the action. Um, and I, I'd, you know, that there'd always be things like, yeah, you walk around, and some stuff happens, and it's uh, it's kind of amazing, but it's not actually amazing because nothing really happens. But like, um, you feel like it's amazing, and, and you kind of think like, that's that sounds like bullshit. I'm never never going to pick this game up, but. Um, but it, it is, that is really the, the charm of the game is that um, it's the tiny, tiny things Yeah, I think that's uh, a relevant point talking about all the big music the orchestral stuff mm. the stuff that punches through the stuff that you can make a soundtrack out of the kind of thing that you can put over a trailer for said game and have people go wow, what's this? you know <laughs> um, <laughs> nuclear explosions going off every two seconds as a bass drum, you know. And, <laughs> and it, when when you're, um, hang on, you just give me an idea for a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, to quote Buster Rhymes, when you break shit down to molecules, then suddenly things become more tender and dramatic. Um, it, 
all it takes is a single bleep or a bloop to have significance. You're not competing against huge orchestral scores. It's essentially uh, wandering through uh, the all of the different pad presets on a very good synthesizer <laughs> yeah. and playing and putting it onto single finger mode and just playing with all of these beautiful sounds. Mm. Um, but it takes so little for the sounds to be triggered and so little for those sounds to be interpreted as a result because you have so little to go on. Mm. It, it, it's a canvas for your aural emotional state to be laid upon. Uh, mm. And I think that in that sense, it's, it's the, the player brings as much to the game in the language of music as the composer did, John Lau. <laughs> um, what I will say is that actually um, that's a very good point in that because your frame of reference is so is, is limited to the, the tiny, tiny things um, that are happening on this island, the fact that you, you realise that you don't need big nuclear explosions, you don't need uh, like you know, events, you don't need big things to happen um, and you start to delight in very in, in the very small things like I don't know encountering a particular kind of animal or um, you know the, the way that the sun sets or, or things like that um, uh, which themselves if you actually like come, come away from the game and you think well, all I was doing was looking at some, some patches of colour um, aren't really much to shout about um, but I, th I think part of the game's beauty and I did think it was very very beautiful um, comes in 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 making you appreciate and in, in encouraging you to appreciate those tiny, tiny things. And I think one of the, the thing that... I think there's a very fundamental human desire to be... To, to have an impact on the world, to have the world react to you in some way. And I think that in the real world, when you go and you go to a club and you dance with someone or you have a really great conversation... Um, any any interaction where you do something and you feel like it matters I've, I've never feels amazing. Feels I'm oh man I'm sorry come join me in San Francisco. <laughs> um, it, have, having that happen always feels great. And the thing that makes Proteus so interesting is that it's a world where everything is reacting to everything you do, which is what makes it feel so good. Hmm. Well, look, <laughs> this has all been lovely. Simon, you're going to just piss all over me, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm not, actually. Worst game ever. <laughs> it, I yes, think it really depends on how you present Proteus and, and, and how you're describing it, because as an experience, Proteus is wonderful. It's transcendent, and, and I want to take it and put it in MoMA in a special room where, you know, you have to, like, climb up through a tunnel that feels reminiscent of the birth canal just to get there, <laughs> and it's projected onto a, into a spherical room, uh, all that it surrounds you, the sense of it surrounds you, and you're on a 360-degree treadmill, and your movement is mapped into the game one-to-one, -one, and, you know, there are, like, there are fans in the room blowing air at you, like, it really feels like you're there. I want, I want to, like, live inside it, because it's it's gorgeous and it's a real work of art but if someone says to me hey man play this game proteus i mean i i did i the experience for me was kind of like is an analogous to um trying to 
think of a way to, to say this without admitting to the world that I've taken drugs in my life. It's a little bit too late. Right, so how are we going to get around that? Um, uh, why don't you... Got why ideas? You've got a friend. I've got some drugs. <laughs> it's a little bit like someone said to you, hey man, eat this chocolate bean and, and it's going to be fucking wicked. This is going to be <laughs> the best chocolate bean you've ever eaten for about five or six hours. You're going to feel like the world's a different place. And That's I a eat, great review. <laughs> and I eat the chocolate bean, and I sit there in the loud club, <laughs> and, I, and I wait. <laughs> and this is a little bit what Proteus felt like to me, because, you know, as Ref, you described it well, you wake up in the ocean, disturbing in the first place, but that's fine, near this gorgeous island, and you swim towards it, and the swimming in itself is a beautiful meditative experience, or interminably slow. And you arrive at the island, and everything starts to make music around you, which is gorgeous, but also very confusing. And you walk along, to, for me, it was there was a row of standing stones, and I passed them, and I realised, oh, as I pass these stones, they go boom. And that was lovely, and I went back and forth along the stones for a bit. And then I realised that in this world, I was the equivalent of... I don't know, like maybe one of those, uh, like a Segway. I was a human Segway with no arms and no legs and just rolling backwards and forwards at one consistent pace with no sense of joy or momentum and just bashing myself against things, going, is this going to make a noise? Is this going to make a noise? Thump. Is this going to make a noise? Thump. Oh, look, I'm somewhere else now. Thump. Like Helen Keller. <laughs> What's happening? Thump. And then at some point I press the escape key and your eye starts to slowly close and I thought, that's beautiful wonderful illustration of the dreamlike, terrifyingly surreal nature of this experience I've just endured. <laughs> and in adored, but endured. Um, so the, but what you're describing is, um, is to, to, to you might feel like that, but to another person might just be a certain, um, you know, a wonderful, naive exploration where you're, you're running around you're like, what, what, you know, there's this playfulness where you're wandering, wandering around and you're like, well, what sound does this make? What was that? Like, what was making that sound? And like, you know, I can't see it. Where is it? You know, there's, there's a, there's a, a wonder to it, um, which if you're not quite grouchy about it, <laughs> like, I think, I think you could really, you could really buy into. And, and that's, that's what I liked about it because there were, it was explorative. Mm, yeah. Even to the point that things that the artist clearly thought were defined, I would think to myself, is that a frog or a dog's pocket like you get it from a distance you think oh that's what it is and then you see it from a different angle and go I don't know what that is just, I really I respect that John a huge amount and I wanted to feel that joy I wanted to enjoy that chocolate bean but instead I found myself you know at one point I saw a house brilliant wonderful maybe this is some sort of interactable object maybe some sort of semblance of task and reward will enter into my experience of this game and it will be my, it be given meaning and weight, and I walked and it 's just a box. I walked up to this box and I thought, this is everything proteus is it 's a box that you can 't even open did you did you did you get the thing to happen no you didn 't get the i don 't even know what the thing is there 's a thing that you can make happen <laughs> to make things more interesting sure I mean it, some interesting things did happen, like there were some lights that spun about, and right I ended up somewhere else than I was before. 
Right, so you got the thing to happen. I, I didn't. Well, I, at one point, that's I, a thing. One that point, sounded like a bunch of things. Like a thing. One point, I thumped into a big, really big tree. I think maybe, and then I was. Then it was a different time of day, and I thought, have I just blacked out? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, it is. It can be. It can be confusing, but I think um, you're right. Like maybe I think there's a, there are certain kind of usability issues. Those could those could equally be described. Um, as uh, as some very small problems for you to work out. I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> for you to work. You need to work. You need to work through the pointiest problem and the issues with your parents. <laughs> Those are the things you need to work through. I don't. I yeah, man. I don't need to be right. I. It's just an an acceptance of the fact that this is this is the risk you take with a game that is a beautiful artistic experience. Mm. Is that I ended up on, on a vector. That was incompatible with the the experiential message that the game was trying to convey, and I think that was mostly just unfortunate. Mm. But um, but but there it is, and that was my experience of it. And I, that's a great the experience. Thing. I mean, the experience of the game. It is interesting what you say about the the fixed pace of it. I mean, it makes you wonder, right? If the game had let you run twice as fast, or three times as fast, or as fast as you wanted, um, some kind of analog controller. Um, kind of way like that would be giving you the ability to change the the pace of that song right mm. and it, it's it's clear that that was a choice um, about the type of song that you would be creating in that world it's interesting actually that you um, that you bring up speed because um, I found myself um, I'm not sure if you ever you've ever done this uh, I found myself acting in the game mm. um, and uh, this this happened again recently with uh, Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, right. Where where you, you know you uh, you could you, in a game like Bioshock Infinite, you can race around like the absolute clappers. Um, but like when something um, really really pertinent or poignant is happening, um, and you know Elizabeth's having a really bad time, or whatever, you do kind of you, you do you do walk slower and you move your head more slowly. And I, I found myself doing this in Proteus um, uh, quite a lot. Uh, and kind of like approaching a tree very gingerly, that, that, you know that kind of stuff, um, which I think is a is a really wonderful sign. It's a sign for me personally that I've engaged with something where I find myself doing that. It's the only game in first person that I've actually managed to make any sense out of. Oh, that's interesting because yeah. you have great trouble with three dimensional spaces, both inside and outside. <laughs> <of games. laughs> what do you mean, guys? Where have you gone? Um, yeah, and I, uh, what you were saying there about the, the experience of the game, I think that to me, I, I kind of went into that first-person thing and went, yes, this feels comfortable, it's so minimal, so, there's so little going on, I actually know how to deal with this. As a game, it asks more of the player than the average game. And you mentioned this idea almost of role-playing, and it's just the perfect example of a game that if you can meet it halfway, it becomes much, 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 much better. This, yeah, I actually, it's funny because I, I do, you know, you, you said earlier, John, this is something that you have to come to terms with or take responsibility for. I, I feel like a failure for not enjoying <laughs> Proteus. Like, I really wanted to, and I am a, a real glutton for the suspension of disbelief. I will happily throw away my sense of what is real uh, you know on the drop of a whimsical hat or a chocolate bean or indeed a chocolate bean but i just it just didn't happen and i i just could do a, with a hug 
Hey, here's, here's one. Okay, here's one. Uh, here's listeners, one. we're just going to get into that for a little bit. So, <laughs> in the meantime, here's a little music. And rapturous applause from the crowd here in Vienna as John Lau steps down, giving his famous one-finger salute as conductor of the Taping Turns Concerto for the interval. Here we have, fresh from the stage, Stuart Wilson, first violin, to give his impressions of that first half performance. Stu, what did you think? Um, well, I think it started badly. Thank you very much, Stu. Coming up next on Radio 3, for some reason, ventriloquist hour. <laughs> 